0: and welcome to Rad Chat, the multi-award winning, first therapeutic age of the led oncology podcast. Welcome to our bonus episode. My name's Joe McNamara and I'm joined by fellow host Nelman Jalka-Anderson. Hi everyone. So this episode is part of a public engagement project funded by the Beacon Bursary Scheme at the University College London. We're incredibly lucky to be part of this project as it's brought together six young adults who've had radiotherapy together with radiation researchers funded by Cancer Research UK, Radnet, City of London to record these extra special episodes of the podcast these episodes will give each young adult a chance to share their stories and also have important conversations about cancer research, patient involvement in research. So we'd really like to introduce our guests for this evening which is Ellie Hall and Amanda Webster. Welcome both. So um, let's get started. Ellie would you like to introduce yourself first?
1: Hi uh, my name's Ellie. I am 21. I am currently a student diagnostic radiographer at the University of Exeter and I've had radiotherapy treatment before.
2: Hi I'm Amanda, Um, I am a therapeutic radiographer um, I am in a split role, so I am a research and development radiographer for half of my week and the other half of my week I am doing my PhD um, and that is funded by Cancer Research UK, the Radnet City of London funding that you mentioned earlier on Jo.
0: Thank you very much. So Ellie, do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of your cancer pathway if you're happy to share?
1: Of course. Um, So I was diagnosed with um, acute lymphoblastic leukaemia back in 2018 in November. Um, I'd had back pain for about six months and kind of diagnosis led up to it involved quite a lot of different types of scans, more diagnostic than therapeutic, obviously at that point, um, like CTs, MRIs, x-rays and things like that. Um, I'd then gone on to the normal treatment plan for ALL. Um, but then we found out in January that it wasn't working properly and the next uh, treatment was going to be a bone marrow transplant. Um, I then had two rounds of immunotherapy uh, and then I had a bone marrow transplant in May 2019 and the kind of preparation for the bone marrow transplant included total body irradiation which is where my experience with the radiotherapy department comes in. I had Uh, I think five days worth of it leading up to it right before my transplant uh, two sessions a day so it was quite quite intense Um, and it's kind of provided like quite a lot of problems afterwards which is you know it's fine I'm alive but you know (laughs) can be a bit difficult to think about occasionally and then recovered from my transplant. Um, I did have like a little blip in October where they told me my cancer had come back but then they said it was a false positive so that was a little bit stressful but you know we're moving forward. um, I've just had my four-year transplant anniversary this past May and I'll be five years diagnosis since my diagnosis uh, in November this year.
3: Had you heard much about radiotherapy before you went for it?
1: Um. Not really. I kind of I hadn't really had any family members that had needed to deal with it. So it was quite a new experience for me. I think I'd heard a bit about from like media and things like that. So from TV shows, um, but never really understood the concept of it as differential from like a diagnostic scan. Um, I didn't really know what it was gonna be like in kind of going into that room for the first time was really scary um luckily I was in paediatrics so I was able to have my mum there with me I think if I'd been older and had to deal with it myself I would have been a lot different a lot more scary a lot more stressful so I do thank the fact that I was 16 when it was going on and I was able to have my mum there with me um yeah
0: Ellie can I ask about your consent process because having been part of consent for young adults especially for those going for total body irradiation the consent form is pretty extensive isn't it how did you find that whole consent process when they kind of list all the side effects that potentially you could get
1: um so I was kind of a bit out of it by that point so I think it was mostly my mum that dealt with quite a lot of that uh, stuff I'd kind of spoken a bit to the consultants about kind of the cataracts and the infertility problems that could come from the total body irradiation but there was also side effects that were coming from the chemotherapy I was having anyway so I think it kind of just merged into one in that sense um, I had had a couple of procedures to kind of preserve um, pre- preserve one of my ovaries so I knew that there was that option if I needed it in the future so it wasn't as concerning um the cataracts I'd kind of just brushed off as like I'll deal with that when it happens um and then some of the other side effects I didn't know too much about just because I had not read it properly and my mum had done it um but I mean I've suffered with fatigue since having it so I'm assuming that's the side effects that I should have read up a bit more about um but yeah I kind of I hadn't properly looked into it so I would say um I, I do not know fully,
3: I suppose going on from the consent process, do do you find it different being a younger person going through like the cancer pathway, maybe compared to now having been on placements and seeing other people?
1: Yeah, so I think at the time I was kind of I had the most of the treatment in like a pediatric hospital, so most of the time I was around much younger kids, so that kind of affected it my experience quite a lot because. Most of the people that I was in the wards with were like babies and like two-year-olds. So I know I had quite a lot of experiences when I was in like a bay where they'd just be playing Mr. Tumble out loud constantly and it would just get really, really tiring. But I think I'd have preferred that to being in a um adult ward where they, you know, just don't give you any general anaesthetic because that was definitely a definitely a bonus. I think when I had my radiotherapy, I'd gone into the adult hospital within Bristol and it was quite weird going in there and then suddenly just seeing quite a lot of older people and I think they do give you some stares in a way of why is there a child in here you know how has that happened? kind of sympathy in that sense which did feel a little bit strange and kind of knowing that this wasn't the end of my kind of treatment plan um and knowing that I had to then deal with a transplant afterwards and all those side effects kind of made it feel like quite a sad place to be. Um I think, you know, occasionally you'd hear the bell ring for someone else and that would be really lovely. And that kind of pushed me through it a little bit more to just know that everyone else was getting better. So therefore I, I'm going to as well. Um since being in the hospital, it's been kind of a bit of a struggle I think on my first day of placement in first year I had dealt with someone who was getting a new cancer diagnosis which kind of threw me off a bit knowing what they were going to have to go through um, but as I've kind of done more uh, work within the hospital I kind of can see it in a different light of you know they've found out and that means they no longer have to worry about the stress of what's going on with them. Um, I've seen quite a lot of people coming back in for their follow-up scans and you know obviously not being able to tell them but knowing that it's going to be good news is also such a like nice feeling to have knowing that people who are dealing with the same thing I've been through are you know going to be okay which just you know that kind of helps me get through it a little bit better.
0: Amanda, for anyone listening who maybe doesn't know about total body irradiation, do you mind kind of giving us a bit of an oversight of, of TBI and, and why it's maybe used? Thanks,
2: Joe. I hope I can do this answer justice. So total body irradiation, TBI, is where we use radiotherapy to treat the whole body. And similar to general external beam radiotherapy, we are still using high energy rays that are similar to x-rays. It is often used to prepare our patients for a stem cell or bone marrow transplant. And you may have TBI at the same time as having chemotherapy drugs or some targeted cancer drugs. Um, It's a treatment that we use for lymphoma, leukemia, myeloma, and MDS, which are a group of blood cancers where bone marrow doesn't work. And as I said, it's used to um, treat the whole body. And what it does is it helps kill cancer cells in the bone marrow so that before a transplant, that you your body is ready. You've essentially suppressed your immune system so that when you do have the transplant, it helps prevent a rejection of the donor stem cells. Um, often TBI is delivered twice a day for um, three or four days, or it can also be one or two radiotherapy treatments um, delivered by your therapeutic radiographers um what may be a little bit different and um, compared to you know some of the setups you've probably discussed on previous rat Chat episodes is um how the patient is positioned they may be lying down and um the radiographers will have to measure different parts of their body so that we can give an even dose throughout the patient's body and you may have kind of like what look like kind of, I don't know, pillows that are quite solid or, um, you know, a buildup of material around you to get you in position. But as I said, that also evens out the dose or you may also have your treatment standing up um, so that the radiographers can deliver your TBI treatment.
0: Amanda, why do you think it's so important for patients like Ellie to be part of research like this?
2: I think, first off, our patient voice in general, you know, including them in our research and development work is so important. Um, We can't move forward with our developments unless we know what's important to our patients. Um, specifically thinking about Ellie, and you know how old Ellie was when she came for her radiotherapy. Ellie highlighted that she was sixteen. She was under a paediatric service, um, but you know, um, a lot at, at sixteen, a lot of um, you know that's a, a turning time for a lot of our patients, right? You know, you're still maybe in a paediatric service, but you're becoming a young adult, and I think we've missed a trick so far in terms of our R&D for these patients. I think we've had services that have been focused on paediatric patients and services that have been focused on our adult patients. And Ellie almost touched on that, you know, as she described how she was in a paediatric hospital, but then came to an adult radiotherapy department and i just couldn't stop thinking when ellie was telling her story we need to we need to do more there is a gap here and research and development is all about um filling a gap um and i think it's so important that we listen to um basically people who are brave enough like Ellie to tell their stories firsthand and we go from there we don't just listen to their stories we start to integrate them we start to change our services and we start to grow and develop in the services that we can offer um, this very unique and special cohort of patients.
3: Why do you like clinical research Amanda?
2: I love clinical research because it gives us the opportunity to do exactly what I described. It gives us the opportunity to look at gaps in our service, um, you know, where we are failing our patients and take actions on that, you know, and to improve our services. And, um, you know, you can only actually really make change if you prove that, you um, it's required or it makes a difference and research does that you know the fundamentals of research allow you to um highlight a gap in knowledge and um, undertake a process whereby you can improve it and then have the data whether that's quantitative and or qualitative to prove yes this is better and then you can go to your hospital your center and say i've done the research this is what was lacking this is what we need to do to improve it. And these, and then you can make real evidence-based changes for our patients.
0: I think something you said there, Amanda, is absolutely key. And maybe for the general public, they won't be aware of this, but we do need evidence to make changes. And I certainly know from a patient perspective, you know, it can be really frustrating because you just say, why can't you just change that? Why can't you change that protocol? Why can't you lower the age of screening? Why can't you change a protocol that ensures that I get this technique? And actually, I think, as you said, you need the research to be able to make that change. And I think that's what's most important is without the research, we can't just make those changes. Amanda, can you elaborate a little bit on kind of why that why that happens? Why do we need that evidence specifically? Why is it so important?
2: Yeah, I think it's first off important to say that it's probably important to think about safety first I know that sounds very um it doesn't sound very glamorous but you know in if you start to make changes here or there they start to grow they can start to kind of escalate and suddenly the treatment you could be delivering is so far removed from the guidance that we have out there that um you know is it really safe to do? I, and I don't mean to worry people when I say that, but it's really to hit home. As you said, Joe, it's, it's so important to have this evidence base um, because we don't want to be doing something that isn't safe. But of course, that's the most extreme answer, the safety aspect of it. Um, and there's a much more, you know, the day-to-day lighter side of it is, you know, as you said, you know, why can't you just simply lower screening from 55 to 54? For example, I'm 54 and I'm so worried. Um, Well, I would love to say yes, um, I'd... I'd like to integrate X, Y, Z, but it also comes down to a bit of um, resources. Do we have the staff? Do we have the equipment? Um, You know, if I lower something for someone, is that going to have a negative impact somewhere else on my pathway? Um, And it's just not as simple as just simply saying, I want to change something, even if it seems like a good idea. Um, but I, I don't want to be a negative, Nancy, and I also think there's positives, you know, to doing evidence-based practice. It's not just to be safe and make sure we're using our resources appropriately. It's also there so that we can deliver the best treatment and options to people because, you know, if you haven't evidence-based something, um, you know, mary who is a fake person down the road might tell me that she likes xyz and i go and change my service based on that when actually there's five um sarahs down the road who like totally different things to mary and i've changed my care based on one person when i haven't evidenced it i haven't researched it and actually it's only good for one in five and it you know you have to weigh that up like with evidence with research and um, so it's it's really it's definitely multifaceted and i've only touched on a few of the components there but hopefully i've given you a bit of a flavor for you know the things we need to consider and um, when we're thinking about evidence-based practice
3: love your passion as always amanda as you said you love research that's what we like to hear not everyone likes research but what made you want to be involved with this project especially around young people and bringing the patient voice into using podcasting?
2: Um, When I was um, approached about this project, um, I just knew it was an instant yes for me. Um, I, in my day-to-day research, I work with a lot of adult patients um, in my PhD, However, I work in a centre that delivers radiotherapy and proton beam therapy to um, young adults, to paediatric patients. So these are a cohort of patients that I see more in my clinical aspect of my role. Um it was really over the last, you know, since I've been working in my current centre and working with other fantastic therapeutic radiographers who are um, specialist radiographers who see our um, paediatric and young adult patients in review clinics, from listening to them speak about the particular needs that these patients have um, and um, how our services are currently not tailored enough towards these patients um, it's something that's become a little bit of a bug bearer for me and as I said even though it's not um, the group of patients that I work with on my PhD Um, It is a group of patients that I am passionate about improving their care. So in my R&D time, I'm supporting my specialist colleagues to work up um, improving our services, tailoring them more, doing research so we can improve our evidence-based practice. So this all came together what feel it actually felt perfect because I was like okay this is something I'm assisting my colleagues with in my centre but I know it's linked to my funder Cancer Research UK and I was like I would honestly just be honoured to listen to not just Ellie's story but you know all the um amazing young adults um who are speaking on as part of this special bonus um uh, podcast series and um yeah, I selfishly thought, um, what an unbelievable and special experience to be part of, um, that I really care about.
3: Hi everyone. So we wouldn't be able to do what we do without some sponsorship and help from some amazing people. So we've just got a short advert here coming up, just so that you can hear some of the products from one of the sponsors that have supported us right from the start.
0: We have an incredibly exciting time at OSL at the moment, with new products within our portfolio coming to the market. One new product is ClearSight Bolus, completely translucent, semi adhesive, and compatible with surface guided radiotherapy solutions. Another product is the IBA Microwave Proactive System, the only commercial prospective risk management solution for radiation oncology. You'll find much more information about this on our website. If you would like to browse our products, please go to our website at www.osl.uk.com or if you would like to speak to us, please call 01743 462 694. Ellie, why did you choose to get involved given that you are one busy lady at the moment <laughs> being at university? We all know how stressful that is. Um, so what made you decide to actually put yourself forward?
1: Um I think kind of being in the hospital and kind of seeing things work in a way that you know maybe I don't see I don't like agree with I suppose certain things that I think could maybe be made better it kind of made me think oh I'd really like to be able to kind of get my opinions about stuff out there and also you know learn a bit more about other people other people that have had a bit more radiotherapy than me and kind of how that impacted them um so we did a couple of kind of sessions before the podcast um with the other um with the other young people and we kind of it was really nice to be able to share uh, my story in a platform that didn't feel stressful or kind of doing it because i have to share certain things so that i can be treated in a certain way which is how some things are at um, at uni um, so it's just kind of like a nice safe space to be able to properly you know think about the experience that I had in the radiotherapy department and also kind of how it has affected me and kind of how I'd like to see it perhaps improved in the future obviously I did have it for nearly four and a half years ago so hopefully some things have changed since then because I know that it was terrifying Um, but you know it's nice to be able to to share and kind of compare stories with other young people and also get my story and my voice heard as well.
3: Ellie you've mentioned about your emotions of how you've I suppose processed or coped with the diagnosis the treatment and now the follow-on you've kind of mentioned or maybe brushed off if you want that it's fine how you have felt and things like that what is it that we should really be hearing from your voice in this because obviously being part of the diagnostic pathway that's a very crucial step for any person going with any sort of disease but i mean you were 16 you go through 16 to 18 we experience lots of changes lots of different stimulus and then coming into university settings but yeah i suppose so moving forward processing your emotions and now taking it into your day-to-day Um, how are you finding Um, it
1: I have struggled with it quite a lot I think kind of closer to the time it was more of a you're just in the midst of everything you just have to keep going Um, there's not really much time to kind of sit and process everything that's going on I think when I kind of hit my like two years post-transplant it kind of all hit me and it was quite overwhelming in a sense of wow that actually did happen to me um, I struggled quite a bit with kind of attention, like paying attention to things and um, kind of spending long periods of time doing things. I do get quite distracted quite easily. Um, I have had to speak to quite a lot of psychologists through the hospital, um, but occasionally like moving around different trusts. So I'm under Oxford, Bristol and now Exeter. And I had a brief period where I was um seen by Truro as well when I was down there on placement. So you kind of you move around quite a lot. Your psychologist doesn't always stay the same because it has to move. Um, I have had to use a couple of the mental health services down in Exeter just because I've been struggling. Some of the side effects from my treatment involved um obviously the infertility, so you have to take HRT for that, uh, or hormone replacement therapy, um which. Uh, at one point i was actually on double the dose that i should have been on which completely messed up all of my emotions um and that was in my first term of uni which was you know just all the emotions at once um and i struggled quite a lot with that but then as soon as kind of my meds were sorted out it did kind of get a little bit more back on track um obviously if that i hadn't been through the treatment i wouldn't have had to deal with that in, in a way of like you know the, the heightened emotions so it has been quite a struggle and you know occasionally I'll think oh every bad thing that's happened is all because of that and you know it, it is you know it is a struggle dealing with it but I've kind of worked on a way of keeping busy which kind of means that I don't have time to think so <laughs> that's why I'm constantly doing things uh, over the summer haven't really had any time off just because if I'm just pouring myself into what I'm doing, it kind of you know I don't have to think about anything that's happened. <laughs> I think as I get older and it's further away and less um kind of less likely i suppose in a way like obviously relapse is always um, a thing that's on any person's mind that's had cancer. um you know as I get further away from my treatment, it's less of a possibility, and I think the further away I get from that. And the more that I just have to focus on my life now as a person recovering um gives you more time to process and more time to actually think about it and deal with it. so I'm hoping these next couple of years I'll do a proper proper thought process proper proper actually delve into it with um some kind of mental health support team and you know kind of you know sort myself out i suppose.
0: Offered any psychological support as you were going through treatment
1: um I was yes um I think at the time it was quite difficult to think about um so I did refuse it at the time I think uh, I don't think I actually used it until I was maybe like a year post-transplant I think I used some of the um teenage young adult um I think they might have rebranded it, but there was teenage cancer trust, I think, which is now young lives versus cancer. I did use um one of the support workers through there just to kind of like vent all my problems to, um. But I did find my psychologist that I was kind of given in the paediatric hospital was kind of more suited to working with younger children, so it's quite hard to convey my problems in a way that, you know, I was actually able to verbalize them properly, which I think might might have been a problem. I think um
2: It was on that kind of thread I um was wondering if I could ask you a question if it's okay. It is linked to that. Um and sorry to interrupt. Um so one of the main reasons I wanted to partake in this is I also, you know, I wanted to get radiographers thinking about how we can develop our service for um our young um adult patients our young people and ellie so you mentioned you didn't avail of services psychology services at the time but you also mentioned earlier on that you really liked the group forum that we've been having as part of this podcast offline and i was wondering do you think that's something we should maybe think about um offering so something not throwing you into when you've got treatment going on etc and psychology might sound so extreme and just too much to add to your plate do you think there's maybe other initiatives that we could be offering our patients
1: um yeah definitely I think kind of being able to kind of have like a support network of young people going through the same thing as you is you know kind of what helped me on the other side of my transplant um the TYA team at the John Radcliffe and Churchill in Oxford are excellent at this I would say um allowed I say names yeah uh Claire Taylor who is um someone that works at uh John Radcliffe and Churchill is incredible at organizing so many things that I've kind of been able to enjoy properly since um being through and obviously not having the opportunity to do it beforehand, I think we do like quite a lot of uh, meals out. We we went to go watch Barbie have burgers uh, last month, which was really lovely. Um, they have I think I've been to board game cafe with them. Uh, I just yeah, there's just so many things that they've done. We also have a book club every month, which kind of is really good to kind of get me back into. Focusing on words because I have struggled with that. So kind of having a purpose for a book to needing to be read, has really kind of helped me get back onto that concentration and being able to read um on paper again because I do struggle with that. Um and I mean my the one down in extra as well who's called Lorraine. She's uh, does meals every kind of couple of months as well, and I know there's one coming up in September, which I'm hopefully going to be able to go to. So, I think most of the support in the kind of sense of speaking to other young people is coming through like the TYA, t- Teenage Young Adult Teams, and um, Young Lives versus Cancer, as opposed to the, cause I think these are external um, providers for it. Um, so, that's where most of my support has come from. And obviously, if the hospital was able to provide something similar to that, that would be fantastic. Obviously, the services are there. Um, but obviously being in a pediatric hospital, they kind of have to come over to the hospital for me. And I think some of the younger people, because I think, you know, probably from like 12 and above would benefit from that. But it is, I think it cuts off. I think it's a like a, a certain age range, maybe like 16 to 24. So they might not have access to those services. So it definitely would be something for kind of the, the gap between like I suppose, like paediatric and then like teenager as such who are also dealing with the same range of emotions that I was at 16, but not actually able to access those services.
0: It's a really hard age, isn't it? Because it's very different. Having a son who's 12, I know that he wouldn't necessarily choose to socialise with someone younger and also vice versa. He's got 14 year old friends and they will play online, but socially they wouldn't necessarily play together Um, and so I would imagine that from a peer support group is exactly the same you know having a very diverse age range is isn't actually beneficial because you might feel isolated and if you are the eldest in that group or you don't associate with those that are younger then it can be really tricky Ellie can I ask in terms of you've alluded to it but you know you've said that there are things that you would hope have changed what do you want to change from your experience you know, what is there that you want listeners working in the health service now to go, yeah, we need to listen to Ellie and we need to think about changing?
1: Um, I think it's mostly just the kind of way you treat young people as such, because they aren't kids. They don't need like, oh, come on, just get on the table. You'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. It'll be quick. But then also with adults, I think there is this kind of been like a slip of, like, I know I see it in the diagnostic department in just, you know, they're an adult, they can deal with it. So it's kind of like making sure that even adults, I suppose, are still treated in a way that kind of, you know, they're terrified, they're scared. You know, this is a quite a big, big thing going on. And, you know, letting them kind of hear reassurance, but also not in a kind of babying way, I think, um, so kind of I mean going into the radiotherapy room, I think it was quite just like, right, you're gonna go on the table, it's gonna spin around. Um, yeah, if you need anything, just like shout, I guess. So kind of I don't know, maybe just seeing it beforehand would have been really lovely. I know some hospitals are starting to offer like a um, you know, you can see the radiotherapy room before you actually have it, which I would have really liked to offer, but you no, know, really like to have been offered um just because the first time going in there and it just I think to be fair it it was just probably the most like it's going to sound really extreme but like the most dehumanizing moment of my life and just you know you're sat there in your underwear and there's just like there's a you know there's people behind the wall that are just staring at the fact that you know they're giving you a treatment they know you've got cancer and obviously there's nothing you can super change about that because you do still kind of have to be in that situation. But I think just kind of uh maybe more of a like I think because I, I think some departments do this so you kind of can meet the people that are going to be giving you your treatment, which I would I would have liked just to kind of not see them as just clinical like people just walking around, you know, moving, you're right. You know, I want it would have been nice to have like a proper conversation, I think, being able to feel more at home because I was just coming down and going straight away I didn't really spend much of the time getting to know any of the people that were dealing with my treatment I think this would change for other situations I think TBI is quite a unique situation sorry um so I think other people who are experiencing radiotherapy would have a better experience than me just purely for the fact of the like the longer term um, kind of protocol that they they are undertaking meaning that they're getting kind of a bit more of a person personalized um, experience with it um, but I mean you know I still would have quite liked to have just known <laughs> the people beforehand you know because I think they've introduced the I, I think it's been going for quite a while but the hello my name is um, badges which are just kind of you know sometimes you don't hear people's names they just rush you in they do the thing and they let, le- let you leave and think that is a really important thing um to patients to kind of have that sense of this is a real person too they have stuff going on in their lives they're not just you know they don't work they don't live in the hospital they get to go home <laughs> you know things like that so definitely a more like human approach to treatment is something that I feel like well, I'm hoping other people would want as well. Um, and kind of certain, I mean, certain things you don't always get to do. Like I've never rung the bell for the end of my treatment, which kind of seems silly, but it's quite one of those things where it's like, oh yes, that's the end. And you can kind of see it. So like in my head, it's still like, still going, like, you know, it's never stopped. Um, so I think kind of making sure that people, if people want certain things out of it you just listen to them and be like oh I, you know because do you know how easy it would be to just be like oh you can just go ring it it's just over there so i suppose i've lost my train of thought again you know <laughs> i suppose just kind of having you know maybe because i know they have quite a lot of like questionnaire boxes don't they in the hospitals of kind of you know what, what are your thoughts like feedback please um I think sometimes when you're rushing through departments, it's quite hard to stop and think and, you know, probably, you know, and certain people just don't respond to these questions because they don't have the time. So I think being able to obviously talk to people in this sense is good to be able to kind of get my thoughts out and think about it in a more, you know, away from it situation.
2: Uh, Ellie, that was amazing insight. And as you said, you had, um, five treatments was it for your tpi treatment um something along those lines i'm going to say um but i think you've highlighted something really important as therapeutic radiographers uh, certainly when i trained we were treating patients with 30 treatments you know and we were trained to build up a rapport with our patients we had Weeks to build this, and I think you've highlighted something really important, and this is exactly why I really wanted to be involved in such a project. You know that we are actually seeing not just in t b i treatments but in other radiotherapy and proton beam therapy treatments we are delivering you know it's less common you know to see these very very long um treatment courses, and we've less time um to um, you know, get to know each other, but you've highlighted, you know, for you, you still want that and we need to take a pause and I think reflect on that as therapeutic radiographers. We do have less time and we it's precious and we need to hit the ground running. And it's so many simple things you just said, you know, just kind of introduce yourself, be human, You know, get, you know, simple, have a simple conversation, you know, go through processes a bit more, You know, you highlighted, you know, that you were brought into the room and kind of like, okay, we'll lie you down, we'll move you around. Maybe just be a little less clinical, a little bit more human. you know, you didn't tell me anything that was, you know, crazy hard for any hospital to, you know, to change. Um, I definitely don't think we need evidence base for what you've said, Ellie. (laughs) Um, We just, a lot of what you've said is just be a little bit more human with our patients um and it's just amazing insight thank you so much for sharing it i'm i'm no i'll go in tomorrow with that sitting with me it will probably sit with me for weeks
0: i think it's the element of personalized care isn't it you know you've mentioned how you could potentially have had a much better experience very easily but it is about that personalization for you asking that simple question of what do you need today what would you like how can we make your experience better how was your experience you know I, I definitely think more people now would benefit from saying to their patients how have you found radiotherapy today do you have any questions is there anything that we need to do differently tomorrow and um, is a really quick way for us to essentially change our practice and hopefully turn things around I think um, on RadChat. I know that we advocate for patients to speak for themselves. But I would imagine that actually as a 16-year-old, that is not possible. I I certainly know from my experience as a 16-year-old, as a teenager, there is no way that I would have advocated for myself and say, actually, can I have a sheet to cover me? I don't feel confident enough to be exposed. Can you not move me like that? Can you not touch me? Like, I know that I would not have said that and I would have basically been like a blob lying on a table going right okay move me around do whatever you want to me and so again it's that difference between the young person's experience that you know the teenager the young person to an adult you know we're saying advocate for yourselves absolutely we'll do whatever you want us to do but we're expecting that to come from the patient and that isn't always possible i would i would think ellie um from your experience
3: ellie what's been your best experience of healthcare practitioners
1: um I mean mostly the reason why I wanted to go into radiography was to kind of give those experiences that I maybe didn't have to other people so quite a lot of the time when I know I mean probably my favorite experience was when I was on my nursing week which obviously isn't necessarily radiography related um but there was a patient up on the ward who um kind of I'd gone in to kind of speak because it was quite a, a small like bay within the ward um and I just basically was just having a chat with him and he's like you know you're the first person that's actually spoke to me in such a long time and he hadn't seen his um wife in a really long time because um no one would arrange for her to come in and I'd managed to kind of give a ring to the person, obviously on his phone, um, someone to kind of bring his wife in. Um, and he was like, you know, thank you for that, because that's kind of, you know, you know it's it's so lonely up here, you know. He's but be, he'd been in there since like Christmas. I think it was um maybe like April at this point. So it's just kind of, you know, giving that experience to patients that I've been in a similar position. I mean I've been an impatient for Quite a long time, and you know, knowing that there's people out there that you know care. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying no one does, you know, obviously, everyone that does the job does, but kind of giving the time to kind of listen to people has been kind of my favorite thing as something that I've done. I think I have noticed other people do it, obviously, in the department. You just, you know, if you get kids coming in. Sometimes, you know, they're they're very, very nervous and, you know, I know how that feels. Um, So kind of listening to people speak to them and kind of giving them that reassurance so you can see the kid coming in absolutely terrified to kind of going out with like a little sticker and like a smile on their face kind of, you know, it just it makes everything seem worth it just to know that you're making a difference and that person's experience is been made better because you know you're is just such a such a nice feeling and obviously you know maybe I don't remember it very well but you know I don't remember many experiences where I've left and gone great <laughs> so I think that was mostly why I wanted to do radiography and you know I definitely experienced those moments that make me know it was the right choice
0: Ah, oh, thank you Ellie you almost made me Go <laughs> produce a tear or two when you were talking about that gentleman, um. And obviously, it's definitely the career for you. Do you feel like your experience made you the radiographer that you are today, and do you think it, um, it will continue? Yeah, definitely. To do so as you I go think kind of having that
1: unique angle to be able to look at healthcare from a patient perspective to then going on to work just completely like shifts the way you kind of see things so stuff that I know would have made me nervous stuff that I know you know stuff like I don't know like I think sometimes when you you've had a scan sometimes you wait a really long time for them to come back in that wait is so nerve wracking I think sometimes people don't know that it's just because someone's come in to have a chat with the 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 radiographer that's doing it and they just got distracted so I think kind of just you know having that insight of I know how scared they're feeling can just mean that I'll do things that maybe other people wouldn't think of so kind of just like you know just a reassuring like oh my gosh sorry that was taking so long uh we just had someone else come in to just have a chat you know we're ready to go and I know certain times you you read people's body language and stuff and that can be really hard not to kind of show in the way back because I read body language so it has kind of changed me in the way that I have to be a lot more stoic, and kind of like you know, do not show any emotion when you go back in there. And occasionally, I've had to not go back in because I know that I'll you know, in a way, give it away. So, I think being a patient kind of allows you to, to yeah, to to gain the insight to know a lot better how people kind of expect to be dealt with and I think certain things like I know people just you know you can tell that someone's not comfortable in the way that they're having their scan or something and just being like is there anything we can do to help it's just such a nice you know n- nice to hear sometimes of just you know oh yeah can you just put a pillow under my knees like most of the time we do put pillows in but occasionally they forget and you know just someone going, oh, someone's looking out for me, someone's making me more comfortable, hopefully shifts their perception of the hospital and kind of doesn't make it a scary place because it is it is scary. And you know, having a good experience shifts you know, some of that. I know obviously a bad experience makes everything come crashing down, but you know, if you can build that back up again with good experiences, it'll mean more people are likely to come in for problems because I know quite a lot of people just go mm, that'll go away whatever but if they know that they're going to be treated well and they're going to be listened to and supported people are going to be more likely to come in for diagnostic checkups and you know it, that that'll be better for the population because you know things will be caught earlier and you know that reassurance is able to be given.
0: It's almost like we all need to have that patient experience, isn't it, before we become a healthcare professional, which would probably topple the NHS. Um, But I think having that awareness of potentially how you like to be treated, how you want your family members to be treated is really, really important. Um, So we're coming to the end of the podcast. Go too quickly. We've not got enough time. Um, But we always do top tips. So Amanda, any top tips that you would give anyone out there involved in research or within the clinical environment?
2: Yeah, listen to your Ellie. If you are fortunate enough to have an Ellie in your department who is speaking up now or speaking up later or telling their story, just listen to it. And if your patient patients aren't coming forward and aren't speaking up do exactly what Ellie has told you to do. Just ask them, how are they? What's going on? And try and, you know, get it out of them. What is their story? What do they need? Um, because we are very, very privileged to be able to listen to these stories and improve our services and, you know, techniques, development, research, etc. is only so much better when we know it's got the patient voice in it so yeah
0: listen to your Ellie that's a big bold quote isn't it we can put across social media listen to your Ellie and Ellie any top tips that you would give for healthcare students or any patients listening
1: um certainly for patients advocate for yourself make sure that if something's not right you're saying um you know because you know your you know your body best you know if something's wrong and I think certain times you know we brush things off It's definitely you know definitely advocate for yourself in that sense I think also making sure patient wise again if there's any support networks with other people um, from your hospital or trusts um, you know join them just make sure that you're kind of you've got a support network because it can be a very isolating time um I think having people who know what you're going through right there next to you kind of just makes it all feel a lot less overwhelming a lot less big um I think for for like students um I think yeah just listen to your patients and kind of treat them how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. Um, I think as a student, you're a lot less busy. So you kind of have a bit more time to be able to talk to them and um, kind of, you know, connect with them in a way. So I think definitely making sure that you're using that time that you've got as a student to be able to have and make those connections with your patients.
0: Oh, thank you so much both of you. A really powerful episode. We really appreciate you um taking the time to join us. So thank you, to